0: It's hot out, like really hot out, like dog days of summer hot. And if you happen to live somewhere where you can escape to the high country, this is the time of year to do it. So we might as well go pester some high country trout during the dog days of summer. And we're gonna talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad LaChance here. Thanks so much for joining in to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate you tuning in every week as we produce a new episode every Friday, of course, brought to you by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at sportsmans.com or any one of 137 stores nationwide. So it is the end of July, people. It is hot outside at this point. We've been in the... Oh, mid 90s, most days here, the last several days after we had a cold and wet spring. And it is immediately flipped over to summertime. My home lake started dropping like a rock. Uh, Level wise, we've lost something like two vertical feet in the last week. And uh, it's been higher rising all spring. So we've made the turn. Uh, we're headed towards the end of summer at this point, And they'll be dumping all that water out on the corn and, uh, and all that. But you know what? Maybe dog days down here at the lower elevations where I live, and I live on the Front Range of Colorado. For people that aren't familiar with me, that means um, a couple hours north of Denver, hour and a half north of Denver, straight north, um, closer to Cheyenne even than Denver. But uh, puts me, my home lake elevation when it's full is 5,430 feet in elevation. If you're listening from somewhere back east or something, that sounds really high, but that's not particularly uh, high elevation, 5,430 feet. I can tell you if you're a bass boat guy, it's about three inches of prop on your Mercury if you're coming from from sea level, but uh, not particularly that high in relation to Colorado where I live, which has the highest average elevation in the state. But this podcast isn't about Colorado per se. You could be in in areas of Arizona or New Mexico. You could be in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or anywhere in Wyoming, I should say, for that matter. Utah, Nevada, California, Montana, uh, applicable to all of the western states, realistically, that have mountain regions. Because what I'd like to talk about is escaping the heat. And I'm a heat junkie. I mean, I love hot weather. I am not, I'm not a cold weather person. That's well documented. I grew up in South Florida, and, uh, and the heat is, is fine with me. But it still feels good to escape to the high country and go uh, spend a little bit of time up there. And there's a couple key things to it, uh, particularly if it's not something you do normally. So, yeah. if you're a guy that regularly goes mountain, high mountain trout fishing or, or backcountry camping or anything like that, then this podcast may be a little bit more basic than what you want. Uh, and I'll be dead honest with you I am not a guy that goes and spends a tremendous amount of time uh, way in the backcountry. I have done it. I've, I've, backpacked in and, and camped I've certainly backpacked into my share of lakes for the day um, I've done everything from mountain goat hunting which is serious work uh, to mountain elk hunting to fishing all over in the high country but I'm not the kind of guy that just goes and climbs 14ers for fun that's not my mo but I do love to go fish in the high country and every time I go do it It's either one of two things. It's either way easier than I expect it's going to be or it's way harder than I expect it's going to be. It doesn't ever seem to be when I go up into the high country uh, that it's just an average day. There's no such thing, I don't think, as an average day in the high country, at least at the level that I do it. We either catch catch them at will and just get after them for real and have a great time, or we struggle with it and uh, the fish are very difficult to catch and we still have a great time, because you're in the high country and that's part of it. So let's talk about some of the things to keep in mind. Uh, if you're going to be, let's say you're a front range guy or you're a flatlander, uh, maybe even you're visiting Colorado uh, and you're gonna end up in Rocky Mountain National Park or something like that, and maybe you're going to Yellowstone. Uh, there's a couple key things to, in the high country that you have to keep in mind, and some of it's good and some of it's bad. And we're going to start with the bad just to get it off the plate. Uh, first of all, when you I leave my house at 5,400 plus feet in elevation, it might be 85 degrees. Less than an hour from now, or right at an hour from now, I can be at just under 11,000 feet in elevation, and it might be 60 degrees. And if an afternoon thunderstorm comes in, even though it's the end of July right now, it might drop into the 40s very easily and get wet, and you might get snow or hail on any given outing into the high country even at the end of July. So the first thing you have to keep in mind is be prepared. Uh, You may be on your own depending on what happens to you in the high country and where specifically you're going. You may be on your own to take care of yourself. So that's one of the things, and I'm not going to get too preachy about that, but every year we have rescue upon rescue upon rescue for people that aren't ready to be in the high country. And when I say high country, I'm going to say somewhere around, say, nine thousand feet and above here in Colorado. And again, that sounds really high if you're in, say, Wisconsin, but it's it, by Colorado standards, that's not. Tr- lines somewhere around ten three, a little over ten thousand feet, ten four, something like that. So you're not even at the tree line yet at that range. And and some of the lakes that I'll go fish might be a thousand feet above the tree line. And so they're way up there. They're 11,500, 11, 11, feet. So the first thing that comes to mind is if you're not used to being up there, Uh, is altitude sickness is a real thing. And so not only do you have to be prepared for weather, but you have to be prepared for the fact that your body flat does not make as much horsepower. I made a joke in the beginning that it's three inches of prop on a Mercury outboard bass boat when you come from sea level to here. Well, that's because your engine doesn't breathe very well at this thin air, well, neither does your body. And so let's say you leave Denver even, at 5,000 feet, uh, and then you hike up to some of the lakes we're talking about, well, you've gained 6,000 feet in elevation, and the air density is considerably different so altitude sickness is a thing coupled with the weather so be prepared for both of those things if you start feeling lightheaded or dizzy you either need to head back down or you need to sit down drink some water and let your body uh, acclimate a little bit and not overstress your engine so to speak another thing is drink more water than you think hiking in the high country will deplete you of water in a hurry so make sure you drink more water than you think and of course, this is an obvious one, but let everybody know or somebody know where you're going and when you'll be back. Because hiking a trail in the mountains, I don't care where you are in the West, hiking a trail in the mountains, it comes with a certain amount of inherent dangers from rocks, from animals, from, from disorientation to all sorts of illnesses like I've already alluded to. So let people know where you are and where you're going. If you're not used to hiking a bunch in the high country go with some other people preferably somebody more experienced than you or go someplace that's a very heavily traveled area Uh, Colorado has State Forest State Park here Uh, a lot of the areas in that park are very heavily traveled so if something is to happen to you uh, at least you have some other people on the trail that can deal with it the other thing is watch the weather uh, it can change in one second flat in the high country. You would be amazed at how fast stuff can blow over the hill. And all of a sudden, it went from nice and sunny and gorgeous to freezing cold rain on you. And uh, so you need to be prepared for that all the time. I don't care what the weatherman says. I always have a weatherproof shell with me, a waterproof shell, no matter what, uh, amongst other stuff. But I don't want to get into too much of that. That's just the basic preparedness of the whole thing. Um To go into the high country, I like to keep my tackle simple as possible, and more often than not, I will carry both a spinning rod and a fly rod, and the reason is this. In some scenarios, they're much easier to catch on the spinning rod, and in some areas, they're much easier to catch some scenarios uh, on the fly rod, and so picking which one is most appropriate uh, is part of the challenge as an angler for one and for two. It's sometimes fun to just see how many different ways you can catch them, which is the thing that I really love to do. So let's say it's windy out or the fish are deeper. Uh, There's some stuff I can't reach with a fly rod. I don't have any room to back cast. Whatever the scenario might be, uh, I will just grab the spinning rod, and I'm fine with that. And if I'm going to the high country, that spinning rod is going to be an ultralight, without question. And I'm an advocate of heavier rods than most people advocate for trout fishing and there's a main reason for that uh for for lower elevations i mean there's a there's a reason for that most of my trout fishing is done on medium light or medium power rods the reason is this i want to land fish in a hurry at particularly trout they need to be in my opinion somewhat bullied the number one thing that kills trout is delayed mortality from being fought too long and it doesn't matter if he's injured or whatever, what matters is that he's exhausted and cannot recover his blood chemistry in time, so I like to land trout in a hurry. The only time I will get away from that uh, is in the high country because you got to hook them before you can land them and they're very difficult to hook on anything you can throw on heavier tackle. So, the first clue, I just gave it away. Everything I'm going to do in the high country is on ultralight tackle because also everything I'm going to throw in the high country is going to be very small. So, my selection of stuff might, depending on where I'm going, include anything from maybe as large as a 2.5-inch gold minnow on a 16-th ounce jig head all the way down to easy a thirty-second ounce jig head with a little tiny tube jig on it, or a one-inch gold minnow on it, or uh, you know any slew of other things—a little two-inch power swimmer. Um, you know, there's just a bunch of different stuff like that. That is, a, a little power switch, a little tiny power switch, uh, little tiny crappie jigs—excellent uh, choice for high country trout and very, very small. Crankbaits can be as well, something like a, a three-centimeter hit stick um, or a five-centimeter hit stick, something like that. Very, very small hard baits can be a good call too. A uh, little tiny hopper, little hopper storm makes a little hopper popper. Uh, fantastic little little bait for high country trout as well. Uh, but again, they're all going to be very small, so that's going to dictate very light line. And so the second thing I'm always going to do in the high country is the heaviest line that I'm going to throw is going to be six pound test, either fluorocarbon or monofilament. And that will be on the end of a liter of very, very light braid. Typically, it's going to be six pound test X9, Berkeley X9 braid for me. And The reason is that line is very supple and very smooth, and then I will pair it to the leader that I need with a double uni knot or a back-to-back uni knot, and that leader will be much longer than normal for me. Normally, I'm an advocate, if you listen to my stuff, I'm an advocate of somewhere between, say, a 12-inch and a 24-inch leader, and I don't let the leader knot pass through the guides when I cast. And, the, the, and I'll spray details on why so short, but I don't need it any longer than that. But on the high country, you might very well need a leader that's more like five or seven feet long. But it's okay because the leader material itself is very thin and the braided line is very thin, so the leader knot will pass right through the guides without any issue at all. Typically, my leaders are going to be fluorocarbon for the light refraction, Um uh, Similarities same as water and that's because the water in the high country tends to be very very clear like very clear There's one place. that I like to fish uh, a place called Lake Agnes in Colorado It's a little over a mile hike if off top of my head I think it's 1500 vertical feet though so it might only be a mile long, but it's it's pretty much straight up the side of the hill and uh, And it's pretty good ways up there. The lake itself is a right at tree line and um, it's a pretty cool lake. But when you climb the hill above the lake to where you can look down into the water from up above, and I'm talking about a few hundred feet above the lake on a nearly vertical scree slope, you can look down in the water and it is like there isn't even water there. The bottom of the lake is clear as day. You can see all the cutthroat trout from up on the hill. You can see them. I'm like, I will do my scouting by climbing up on the hill, looking down and see where the biggest concentrations of fish are, and then I'll hike back down and fish for them. But that tells you how clear the water is. And when water's that clear, and then you get fish like Trout, which are very observant in the first place, uh, they're going to get a good look at stuff. So a long fluorocarbon leader is going to be your friend, uh, with regardless of what you're throwing with the exception of a small topwater bait, at which point like that little tiny popper, which by the way is a fantastic way to catch um, cutthroats. That's In that case I'll put it on a monofilament leader because the fluorocarbon leader would sink the tiny little popper, which is only like an inch and a half long. So. If you want to keep it simple, just throw the mono, but understand you might get a few fish to refuse. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've probably had more refusals from high country cutthroats than just about any other fish, where they will come and look right at it, maybe even swim around it, maybe even faint at it a few times, and then swim off like, nah, not biting that. And that happens a lot. So everything I can do to keep things in my favor will help. Another thing that I will do, which you won't see me do in the high country, in the real high country very much, is throw something that's got a heavy vibration or a heavy spin blade to it, uh, unless the wind's howling or something like that. Because the water is so clear and the fish do have such a good opportunity to observe stuff, I don't want my lure giving off a bunch of noise because, realistically, even a tiny, tiny little inline spinner is going to create a tremendous amount of vibration when you wind it through the water. Column. So I don't throw stuff like that very much. I tend to throw more jigs type type stuff uh, for high country trout if I'm throwing on conventional tackle. Now I mentioned also in the beginning that I typically will bring a fly rod as well. Uh, fly rod for me is going to be short and it's going to be light. And the reason short is because realistically I'm not making hero casts and I might very well be fishing in a tiny little creek because Some of the high country stuff we fish is creeks, and some of it will be lakes, maybe a high cirque lake, um, which is just a hanging lake at a high altitude. The other thing we might be fishing is beaver ponds, which are on those trails, and so, or on those creeks, I should say. And so, you could be in still water or running water in any given scenario on the same day very easily, and so. The fly rod for me is short, uh, typically it's gonna be around an eight footer and it's a three weight most commonly. And that three weight with a with a weight forward line, I can still throw 50 feet, 60 feet if I need to. The chances of me needing to do that in in the high country are fairly slim unless I'm on one of the bigger lakes Um, but realistically you can get away with the shorter casts and the three-weight is perfect for dealing with the little tiny flies and the little tiny, um, commonly smaller than average trout. So, If you hook a five-pound cutthroat on a three-weight, yes, you can land them, but I'm going to recommend that you lean on them for the fish's sake, and that's going to help you. As much as your tackle will take it. So I take pride in not how light of tackle I can catch fish on, but how fast I can land them, and that's, again, because it's easier on the fish. So I will throw no lighter than about a 5X or 6X tippet, and typically it's going to be five, and then I will bully fish if at all possible, get them back, get them to hand, get them uh, released and let go as quick as possible, again to avoid uh, delayed mortality. The thing about those fish in the high country is they have a very short growing season and they're voracious predators, so if, as long as they don't get any negative clues from what you're throwing, they'll bite a lot of things. So just like my lure selection is fairly simple, my fly selection is fairly simple as well. Basically, small and buggy. Um, I don't, I can't even remember the last time I fished with a fly bigger than about a size 12 in the high country, and typically it's going to be from about a 16 to a 20 uh, in that range, regardless of what the fly is, with the possible exception of maybe a hopper fly with a dropper under it in a high mountain stream somewhere. Uh, but there, I'm really more using the hopper as a strike indicator than I am the actual fly uh, that I expect to get bit, although it will occasionally get bit as well. So the fish don't tend to be that picky about what they'll eat in the high country, so long as again, they don't get any negative clues from what they're looking at. So when I'm throwing flies in the high country, I wanna to try to get them on the surface if I can, that's just my MO. If not, I wanna catch them just below the surface and I will throw uh, little emergers or some sort of little tiny soft tackle flies a fair bit. And again, it's just small and buggy looking, and that's a good way to get them. Another really good way in the high country is some sort of an ant pattern because there's a lot of ants, and ants are small, and ants can be an excellent pattern. Even a little bright-colored ants can be a really good pattern in the high country um, and any any number of little larva-looking things. I basically tie what amounts to a little hair's ear, uh, or fish a little hairs here in a variety of different colors and it's like a size depending on the day it'll be somewhere between like I said about an 18 and a 20 and more often than not I can get bites with that any of the high country lakes that we visit so that can be a good call it's really not about a magic fly so much as, as playing with a few different flies till you find one the good thing is you're going to get the chance to see what the fish do because most of the time you're going to be able to see them and that's going to help you a whole bunch to be able to see how the fish react. So by the time two or three of them swim up my stuff and don't bite it, I'm done. I'm cutting it off and trying something else, or I'm going to add motion to it and see if you can get them to bite. So that's worked for me a whole bunch, like particularly with the dry flies, just to to wiggle the rod tip just enough to get the fly to shake on the surface, and uh, and you can get them to bite going that route. Now, there's one thing I'll throw out here that's really important to keep in mind. I'm talking high country trout, but they could be two fundamental choices here in Colorado. Well, they could be high mountain cutthroats. And high mountain cutthroats are probably the most observant of all the trout species I've dealt with. They love to look at stuff. And like I said, their environment is conducive to them looking at all kinds of stuff. And uh, that's very common. But another high country fish that uh, that's very, very common and a little easier to catch is the brook trout. And brook trout in my mind are a great sport fish because they are um, highly, uh, what's the right word productive, let's just say they make babies in a hurry and so they will overpopulate in a hurry, which means eating some of them is a good call in a lot of scenarios, whereas eating cutthroats probably is not. But brookies, even where they get decent size, will reproduce like crazy to the point that that Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and I know they do in Utah as well, they stock tiger trout in certain places to keep brookie numbers down because tiger trout will eat baby brook trout like crazy, but they don't reproduce. So you don't have to worry about them, you know, take it over the fishery, whereas brook trout will. And brook trout are very voracious eaters, and in my experience, they respond well to very, very small uh, streamers, tiny little streamers though, so, uh, by streamer standards, tiny like a, like a number 10 or a number 12 mickey fin. Little tiny old school streamer, just bright color, very thin, no moving parts, no fluff, no nothing, and just make it go quick and brookies will run that thing down very, very easy. So brookies, if you're not used to the high country fishing very much, you want to make sure you catch some. Research some area where there's brook trout and then go target those. They can be tricky, Bre- brook trout and beaver ponds can be very tricky because they can see, again, the water is clear, they can see very well, um, and there's no sense of urgency because there's not enough water flow, so brookies are much easier to catch in fast running water uh, the slower the water goes, the harder they are to catch, which is, my opinion, the same with, with just about any other trout as well, but brookies even more so. Because when the water's running, they'll grab all kinds of stuff. But when it's calm, they might have more of a chance to look around at it and then they'll refuse a few more things. But, uh, but they really, really r- voracious predators. And I, I will recommend in most cases that uh, we release cutties, as I said, But the Brookies, on the other hand, eat some of them. They're delicious. I sometimes will carry a foil packet with me. So I just carry the foil itself, a couple of packets of butter, uh, like the fake butter that you get at like a KFC or something for your biscuit. Carry a couple packets of those, a little bit of salt and pepper. Uh, take Take a Brookie. Uh, take the entrails out, wrap them in foil, rinse them thoroughly, wrap them in foil, put that little bit of fake butter in there, season it with salt and pepper and throw it in a fire. It is delicious. And uh, and again, you're not going to hurt anything because they're so prolific, they'll take over a fishery in a hurry. Uh, so with some basic preparation, you're ready to, to, ready to go get those guys. Uh, when it comes to Brookies, particularly in fast running water, that's one scenario where I might very well throw a little inline spinner, um, because you will get them to run that down pretty easy. But again, in, in, in the clear water of, the cutthroat environments up high, I don't do as well with something like that. So keep your lure selection simple, keep your fly selection simple, keep everything on the small end, including your tackle, and that'll that'll make sure that you're in the ballpark to get everybody to bite. And the smaller stuff gets, the less refusal I get, and that's just all there is to it, which I don't like with my old eyes and all that stuff. It's all that little tiny stuff's not super fun to tie on, but it is a fantastic way to catch fish. A couple other things, speaking of vision. Uh, Polarized glass is so important in the high country because the water is so clear. In most scenarios, I advocate polarized glasses to cut glare so that you can see your line on the surface, or you can see bottom contour stuff, or boating hazards, and all kinds of things like that. When it comes to catching high country trout, the water's so clear, it literally is about spotting fish. And it's more along the lines of maybe bone fishing where fish, particularly in and running water, are hard to spot because of the distortion of the water. Uh, and the key is to look for the shadow, not the fish. But your polarized glasses will help you with that a lot. And it tends to be extremely high UV rays, which is another hint in the high country sunscreen. I am not a sunscreen person. I don't wear sunscreen. Um, but if you're a person that ever wears it, you better wear it in the in the high country. And if I'm ever gonna wear it, it's in the high country because the the amount of UV light is considerably different. I grew up on a beach in South Florida, and that sun is nothing compared to the high country at you know 11,000 feet. The kind of sun rays you're gonna get up there, so. Polarized glass is very important to protect your eyes. For one, for two, uh, to help you spot what's going on in in the in the high country and uh, or in the water, I should say, and that that'll make sure that you don't fish over targets that you can't. That you didn't see, and you don't see them until you go wading into the creek and, and run the fish off. Last thing I'll throw out there is I oftentimes will hike in a pair of light hiking boots or something, and then I will take them off in favor of putting on a pair of of, of water shoes, some sort of tevas or a wading shoe of some sort to wade in, and then I'll wet wade because it's middle of summer. It tends to be warm out there, I, plus, waders are heavy to carry so you can't really hike in tevas per se so to get where you're going you wear tennis shoes i always carry a backpack always 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 carry a backpack with a first aid kit and some fire starters and the other basic fundamental stuff but i'll carry a pair of tevas and i'll switch into those for actually fishing so i can wade maybe knee deep In the creeks, which feels fantastic this time of year. Water will be ice cold. It will numb your legs from the knees down, but it feels good when it's 80 degrees, uh, you know, maybe in the lower elevations of the high country. When I get above timberline, I don't want anything to do with the water. I don't want to walk in it. I don't want to, I mean, I just touch it enough to get fish and that's it because it's too cold and wet is dangerous when you're in the high country. But if you're in the, say, 8 to 9,500 foot range, I will very commonly wet wade and then swap back into my socks and boots. Uh, to come down off the hill and uh, and, and make my walk. So um, the other thing I'll throw out there is I, I would highly recommend if you're going to be high country fishing on a regular, or, or even not on a regular basis, but ever, uh, is a little small landing net because you're going to have areas where it's hard to get a hold of the fish. They're trout. We don't want to drag them up on the bank and hurt them. So a small rubberized net like a Fraybill Conservation Series net Uh, very helpful and I carry a little tiny one because you're not likely to catch particularly big fish. Plus it will give you a chance to hold those fish in the water and let them revive. The Conservation Series has a flat bottom in it so the fish can breathe easily and I can lower them in the water and let them sit there while I maybe get my camera ready for a photo if I'm gonna take a photo or just as a chance to revive the fish. But again it just makes landing them a little easier and um and you don't want to carry a great big net because hiking with a net is not all that much fun so i have a little tiny one just for that kind of stuff so High country. I love going to the high country. Um, I love going up there and chasing some trout. It is not usually a place where I'm going to go target great big trout. It's usually a place where it's about the hike as much as anything else. Watch for wildlife because there's so much cool stuff when you get out and hiking around in the high country. If you're a a front range guy, you might be used to seeing deer or whatever, but uh, when you get up on the high country, you could see all kinds of stuff that you don't normally get to see. And so I highly recommend you do that. I also recommend you get started very Early in the morning and uh, and be out of there by mid afternoon if you're going to do a day trip or be prepared to sit out an afternoon storm if not because it's very common that you, that a storm is going to blow through in the afternoon it's going to get ugly for an hour and then it might get beautiful again and to, if you're prepared to sit that storm out and stay up there and fish after it that's a lot of times when you're going to get some really good bug hatches that'll come off and it'll get really uh, really productive for you in a hurry and just for the record even in a bug hatch going off, you could still catch them just fine on the spinning rod. Uh, and that's not something that a lot of people particularly will do. Uh, there's jokes about crashing the hatch, but at the end of the day, uh, your little tiny jigs will still get you bites when the, when the tiny little midges are coming off the surface of the water. So... I appreciate you guys tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. If you want to join the conversation on other social media, that's at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and especially our YouTube channel. We would love to have you check that out, uh, pushing two billion views there. So lots of educational content there. And, of course, tune in and see what we're up to on Altitude Sports Entertainment or World Fishing Network. We'd appreciate that as well. So thanks for tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.